You know, this may be a chapter, How to Win Friends and Influence People. You've heard of that saying before, but this chapter tells us how to do that. How to win friends and influence people. And the first two verses, we'll begin reading, we'll take it verse by verse, but sometimes they come in pairs. The first two verses we'll read and then talk about it. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. And then it says, Let another man praise thee, and not thine own mouth, a stranger, not thine own lips. So what you're hearing in this verse is don't brag. And uh, don't brag about tomorrow because you may not have it. The uncertainty of health and circumstances of life may prevent a tomorrow happening. We don't know what will happen tomorrow. There have been many people that thought of tomorrow and it never came for them. And it's it's tragic, isn't it, to put all your hopes in tomorrow when you ought to be thinking about today and now. One day at a time, when I think of Odie, you know, we were looking forward to to Odie being with us a long time after she was getting over her uh, problem with the broken pelvic and so on. But God can take us out and we don't know some little thing, just just a fall, but a fall that was fatal. And, you know, we don't know what will happen tomorrow. James says this. Let me read it in the book of James, chapter 4. It says, Go to now, ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanisheth away. So we cannot boast about tomorrow. Now this does not forbid us preparing for tomorrow, but it does forbid us presuming upon tomorrow. We're not told not to prepare for tomorrow, but we are told not to presume upon it and to think that it's in our hands when it is not. There may be occasions here for us to justify ourselves. Verse 2, let another man praise thee and not thine own mouth, but not to praise ourselves. And that's what you find in this second verse. We cannot boast about our times. We cannot boast about ourselves. We cannot boast about our talents. So this is a very fit uh, passage of Scripture for all of us to pay heed to, isn't it? So if you're going to influence people, don't brag. Then the next thing in verse 3 and 4, don't envy. Don't envy. Look at this. It says, A stone is heavy and and the sand weighty, but a fool's wrath is heavier than them both. A fool's anger is heavier than them both. Those who have no command of their passions sink under the load. It's heavy. It's a heavy weight to bear. And in fact, verse 4 says, Wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous, but who is able to stand before envy? So don't envy. Talking about jealousy here. Can you get the, this fact that a fool's anger, a fool's wrath, is a heavy load? A stone is heavy. And the sand is weighty, but a fool's wrath is heavier than them both. To become angry, you have a heavy load. Wrath is cruel, and anger is outrageous. And it says, but who is able to stand before envy? The third section of this uh, Proverbs is uh, verses 5 through 10. And it has to do with not forsaking your roots. 
It says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. We talk about friends. We talk about family. We talk about neighbors in this section. Friends or family or neighbors. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. What's the kiss supposed to represent? Kiss is supposed to represent love and reconciliation. But it also can be deceitful as well. The kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Remember what Jesus said to Judas? He says, Betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? I mean, you know, a token of love, a token of friendship, a token of fellowship. And that was the, the means and the method of betrayal. So the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. But faithful are the wounds of a friend. We might not, when we think of friends wounding us, sometimes they do it in faithfulness to help us out in a situation. It says, the full soul, verse 7, the full soul loatheth. Well, wait a minute. I, I skipped one verse that I wanted to get into. It says in verse 5, I didn't get that one. Open rebuke is better than secret love. Open rebuke. This should have gone in connection with verse uh, 6 as well. Open rebuke is better than secret love. Now what does that mean? A plain and faithful rebuke in love to help us to uh, be better. Sometimes when we do wrong, we need to be told about it. Uh, If we don't recognize it ourselves, at least, we should be told about it. And sometimes we don't recognize that we've made a terrible mistake in something. And if someone brings it to light and is, does it in love and in faithfulness, that's a friend. It says open rebuke is better than secret love. So we're talking about someone uh, that will faithfully rebuke. You know, Paul told Timothy to preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. Reprove and rebuke. What? With all long suffering and doctrine or teaching. So reprove, yes. Rebuke, but how? With all long suffering and in doing it, doctrine. That means teaching. Teaching by it. I remember when I first started preaching and I was talking about a certain thing and I won't bring the religious difference in religion into it, but I didn't see the harm in certain different denominations. thought we was all like, you know, some of us that had this idea that all going to the same place and working for the same place. And uh, this man says, uh, Brother Joyce says, you're not much of a Baptist. And I thought about that a minute, and then I began to see what he was talking about. You know, I began to, he's a good deacon in the church there, First Baptist Church in Deval, Oklahoma, and I thought, what does he mean by that? And I got to thinking about it. Well, you know, if your difference in doctrine and, you, and the doctrine of other churches doesn't stand up under the scrutiny of the Scripture, and the ones that I was mentioning didn't certainly didn't stand up, and I began to find out that, you know, that man was right. And he was setting me straight as I started out as a young preacher. And sometimes a young preacher has to have a little bit of guidance. And I knew something about the Bible, and I'm not, I wasn't dumb about the Bible, but I knew enough about it to know he knew what he's talking about. And that's that's the problem. I knew that, that what he said was true. And it just lined up. And I thought, yeah, that's pretty good. I'll, I'll pay attention to that next time. 
And I became a Baptist pretty quick because of convictions. But uh, I had studied the Bible a great deal and read it quite a bit. But uh, on the other hand, uh, this hit home. And today, in this day and hour, I'm a Baptist by conviction because I know what Baptists believe, know what the Bible teaches. And I'd rather you be a Baptist by conviction than just a Baptist by uh, natural occurrence of things. Some people have just become to be Baptists because their mother or daddy was or grandfather or grandmother or they just happened to be in some way or another. But if you're a Baptist by conviction, it makes a difference. If you have Bible convictions, I believe that uh, enough of it soaking in will give you Baptist convictions. I'm convinced of that. That if you'll read it and study it and take it for what it says, you'll have those kind of convictions. So it says, open rebuke is better than secret love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy... Now you see how the, it's the opposite thing? The kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Now in verse 7 it says, The full soul loatheth and honeycomb, but the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. You get that? A full soul, he gets sick of, it, of the honeycomb. But if a person is hungry, the hungry soul, even the bitter things become sweet. If you're really hungry, sometimes you can... Take in that which is bitter. Uh, Jesus said, Blessed are those that do they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness. If you hunger and thirst after righteousness, if you're hungry for the salvation of your soul, and, and the Bible comes down and says, and here's bitterness, it says, You're a sinner, you need to repent, you need to turn to God. Uh, all of these things are not real uh, tasty to start with, are they? For the Word of God to tell us that we're sinners. For the Word of God to tell us we need to repent. For the Word of God to tell us we're on the wrong track. For God's Word to rebuke us, so to speak, and try to change us. But to the, to the hungry soul, that bitterness becomes sweet because they'll begin to say, Well, that is right. I need to repent. I am a sinner. And I want to be right. And I hunger and thirst after what is provided in the Gospel. And that is forgiveness of my sins and cleansing of my sins and making things right. So that message that seems to be bitter at the beginning really becomes very sweet. And then Jesus says, as far as the Christian is concerned, we do hunger and thirst after righteousness. So, if you go into Beatitudes, that's the way they start out. They start out in such a way as to say... Blessed are the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit are what? Blessed. Poverty is blessed is a blessing. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. If we realize we're poor, and then it says, Blessed are they that mourn. We mourn over our spiritual poverty. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall what? Be comforted. See how how it works? You start out poverty in spirit. You start out mourning over your condition. And then you go on. It says, Blessed are the meek. It brings humility. For they shall inherit the earth. Then it says, Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Look at the scale of the ladder. You started out uh, poor in spirit. You start, uh, you, it brought you to your knees to mourning. It, it led to being humble or meek. 
And then you begin to hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. It's like Ron and Sharon sing, sang a little bit ago. Their song that they sang was concerning being filled with the things of God, the Word of God. And so, there has to be a hungering for that. But notice this verse again. The full soul loafeth and honeycomb, even though it's very sweet. It's good. Honeycomb's all right. But if you're full, too much honey would not be good. But the, the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. Now look at verse 8. As a bird wandereth from her nest, so is a man that wandereth from his place. When you have this this verse, you might say, is deserted responsibility. You have responsibility, but you will not uh, live up to it. Deserted responsibility. And then look at verse uh, 9. Ointment and perfume rejoiceth the heart. So doth the sweetness of a man's friend by hearty counsel. Hearty counsel. Counsel from, from the counsel of the soul or hearty counsel. The sweetness of a man's friend by hearty counsel. This brings rejoicing to the heart. The same as ointment and perfume, if it's needed, brings rejoicing. So does the sweetness of a man's friend, friend by hearty counsel. It says, Thine own friend and thy father's friend forsake not the old friend of the family. Do not forsake the old friends of your family. In other words, don't forsake your roots is what we said this was all about. Don't forsake your roots as far as friends are concerned, even though they may rebuke you. Don't forsake your roots as far as family is concerned. Don't forsake your roots as far as those giving you counsel. Don't forsake your roots as far as an old friend of the family. Thine own friend and thy father's friend forsake not. Neither go into thy brother's house in the day of calamity, Sometimes, for it says, for better is a neighbor that is near than a brother far off. Sometimes even a brother far off, uh, uh, a neighbor that is near than a brother far off. A brother, a blood brother sometimes, is not the one that answers your need as much as a spiritual friend. I know that's true in, in most all of our families. Sometimes we have closer fellowship with a, the friends and family in the church than we do with some of our flesh and blood here and there. Some of the in-laws. Sometimes there can be closer fellowship because of the Lord and because of our spiritual closeness. And so it says here, better is a neighbor that is near than a brother far off. Then it says in verse 11, My son, be wise and make my heart glad that I may answer him that reproacheth me. Make my heart glad. An affectionate parent urges his son to prudent conduct conduct that should gladden his heart. A parent urges his child to good conduct and it will bring gladness to his heart when they obey and they're, they're living the way that, that parents have instructed them. That brings rejoicing. It says, My son, be wise and make my heart glad. There's a lot of admonition in this. If your children are wise and they obey you, they, make, they bring happiness to you. But what, is, what about a rebellious or disobedient child? They bring hurt to your very heart, don't they? 
if they rebel and say, well, Dad, Mother, I'm going to go my own way. I'll do my own thing. Leave me alone. And they get off in the world and in sin and away from God. That brings uh, brokenheartedness instead of happiness. My son, be wise and make my heart glad, that I may answer him that reproacheth me. In other words, if you've got a good son that's standing by you, if you've got faithful children that are standing by you, if they've been admonished in the right way, then it says that I may answer him that reproacheth me. If a man reproaches you and you've got your family right and you've got your the house in order, you can take it pretty good. Say, well, you know, you may criticize me for what I've done, but look at your family. Mine's on the straight and narrow way. And you can be happy about that. Then it says in verse... Uh, and by the way, the good conduct of Christians is the best answer to all that find fault with the gospel. The good conduct of a child of God is the best answer to people that uh, find fault with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you live the right kind of Christian life, they don't have much to say about it. Because they can't improve upon that. The best, Christ, the best citizens in our nation are Christian people. It's, it's just a matter of fact because... Uh, they do. They are morally uh, mindful of the fact that they are supposed to live the right kind of life, and they can take uh, rebuke from the the uh, policeman or from when they're when they're uh, caught doing something wrong. If you're speeding or you're doing something wrong, well, you just have to. The cop comes up there. You just have to say yes. I admit it. You know, I was wrong. I didn't do that. I didn't mean to do it, but I did. And you know, all of these things come into play. And you have to act properly under all circumstances to get Sheila off the hook. Uh, the other morning when we was leaving out real early, Louise and I were in the automobile, and I had uh, gone through town and I had my lights, it was real early and it's still dark, had my lights dim through town. Well, I got out on the highway and I thought, well, you know, but I wasn't completely out of town. It's out here on Meacham and got out here on Meacham and and uh, a cop was in front of me and my lights were on bright and it dimmed. It, it made him think that I was driving all the way through town that way, which I wasn't. But he pulled me over there and says, you blinding everybody in town? I said, no, sir. I just accidentally forgot to flip them back on the dim. And it is all right. But you know, the thing about it is, sometimes our attitude about things make all the difference in the world. And so we have to admit when we're wrong. And sometimes we forget things and not intentionally. We have to just admit that, you know, I made a mistake. It's not hard to admit when you make a mistake. And uh, we should be able to do that when the time comes. So anyway, everything turned out all right. But... Uh, it says here, notice this. It says, My son, be wise and make my heart glad that I may uh, answer him that reproaches me. And we said that the good conduct of Christians is the best answer to those that find fault with us and with the gospel. And people will find fault with the church, but the best answer to them finding fault is your good conduct and the way you live. You just say, you point out the people in our church that are living the kind of lives that that are displeasing in the community or in the in the in the state or in the government in the in the population here. 
Do not they have a testimony? Aren't they trying to live right? Aren't they out working, making an honest living? Aren't they trying to to provide for their families? Aren't they uh, good Christians? Aren't they trying to live a Christian life? They attend the house of God. They study the Bible. They pray. When someone's in trouble, we try to help those and give to the poor. We try to help those in need and so on and so forth. Let them criticize if you're, if the things you do outweigh all they're accusing you of, don't worry about it. It's really their problem, not yours. You just try to live right and do right. It says, I want you to notice verse 12. It says, a prudent man foreseeth the evil. Now look, foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. In other words, he doesn't foresee the evil. When there's temptation, if we thrust ourselves into it, there will be sin and then there will be punishment that will follow. But the prudent man foresees the evil. Can you see when the temptation is coming and then avoid it? Or are you like the simple that uh, fall into it and uh, pass into it and are punished? You have to be punished by it. Do you pay any attention when there's temptation? When there's temptation that comes, the time then is to avoid it. One way to stay away from temptation is when you see that there could be something that you would be susceptible to be tempted by, go the other way. Just don't put yourself in a position to be tempted. Because all of us are human beings. And all of us are subject to temptation. But the thing about it is, we can avoid them if we will. In our prayer that we're supposed to pray. It says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Not only evil, but the evil one. Look at verse uh, 13. Take his garment that is surety for a stranger, and take a pledge of him for a strange woman. Look at verse 14. He that, he that blesseth his friend with a loud voice, rising early in the morning, it shall be counted a curse to him. You know, it's folly to be fond of being praised. Because it's a temptation to our pride. He that blesseth his friend with a loud voice rising early in the morning, it shall be counted a curse to him. Look at verse 15. Verse 15 and 16. We, let, me give, let me sum up before we get that. We've had don't brag, don't envy, and don't forsake your roots. And this one is don't nag. Don't nag. Verse 15 and 16. I want you to notice. A continual dropping in a very rainy day. Boy, it just keeps on raining. And a contentious woman are alike. Look at that. Whosoever hideth her, hideth the wind, and the ointment of his right hand, which bereath itself. The thought is that it's impossible to hide or restrain the contentious woman. It just keeps on and on. A continual dropping on a very rainy day. You know, when the showers come, they may, that's one thing, but when it just keeps on raining, have you ever been in the house and it just rain, rain, rain? You say, My, I wish it quit raining. Well, it says, A continual dropping in a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. You might be saying, I just wish she would be quiet a little bit. And then in verse, uh, and by the way, that could be reversed and talk about anyone that's complaining or griping or murmuring about anything. Paul says, do all things without, listen carefully. He says, do all things without murmuring and disputings, 
that you may be blameless and harmless, listen, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. <clears throat> so if we're going to shine as lights in the world, we have to put away the murmuring and complaining. And that's what we need to do. do you, I, I've never found anyone that liked to be around anyone that was always complaining. Have you? I've never found that. We go to folks, Randy and I'll be downtown, and people complaining about the weather, they're complaining about the business, they're complaining about everything in the world, and they don't have a good thing to say about the day. You know, the Bible teaches us that the Lord has made us every day to have a, enjoy that day. And that day is set before us. And it's ours to either make it good or bad. And it's whatever you make out of it. You can make the worst of it or the best of it. It just depends on what you want to do. You going to make the worst of tomorrow or are you going to make the best of tomorrow? When you wake up in the morning and a new day starts, how are you going to get up and start? Are you going to start out complaining about what you do not have and all the negative things? Or are you going to start saying, God, you've given me life and health. I've got a new day before me. Help me to enjoy it. Help me to make the best of it. Help me to be successful. Help me to be progressive. Help me to be fruitful. Help me to work hard. And you know, Give me the things that I really need. And if you'll have that approach, you know, Dr. Vincent Peale did have one thought that is good for all of us, the power of positive thinking. If you think negatively, it's going to be negative. And if you think positive, it's going to help you. So put the positive side to all that you say and do and try to make the best of it. And most of our problems that come and most of the things that are said about us and most of the negative things that, that we have to deal with, it depends upon our reaction more than that particular thing. What is your reaction to that? Say, someone, someone uh, put me down in a certain way. Someone got on to me about this or that or the other. Or they didn't understand my situation. Well, what is your reaction? Your reaction makes all the difference. How, how are you going to handle it? That may be true that they came down on you. That may be true they said something that wasn't true. It may be true that they that they, that you felt that uh, they did you wrong and you were, it was unjustified. But on the other hand, how you take it is going to make the difference in how you live that day. How you receive it. And it, it's a problem. It doesn't mean it's easy to do. I'm just saying that is the answer. I have to deal with the same as you do. You know, I'm the same as you. Touch me and I, I feel it and, and prick me and I bleed. You know, but the thing about it is, uh, the, the, the whole thing is, is we have to learn how to handle the negative things that come into our lives. And it is a problem that we all have to deal with and we all have to face them. And it's better to face them than to, than to pretend that they don't exist. Let's look at this next verse. It says in verse 17, Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. How do you sharpen the countenance? If iron sharpens iron, you know, you take a file and you file the old axe or a chisel or whatever it is, and you sharpen it. And iron sharpeneth iron. But look at this. So a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. How are you going to sharpen and make the countenance of your friend be what it needs to be? 
with love, with compassion, and with sympathy, with caring. You're going to have to do something to lift that person up and sharpen his countenance. Make them feel better about themselves. Make them have a positive attitude. Cause them to cause them to feel better in the midst of the problem that they may have. Help, help them to turn it over to God. Help them to, to know that you care about it. As Brother Randy said, it was amazing that four, four different ones had called Brother Nichols this afternoon. Maybe more than that. We don't know. That's the ones that's known. Sometimes others have done things that we don't know of. And people don't have to know of it for God to, to bless it when you do it. But on the other hand, this lifts people up. So as an iron sharpeneth iron, so, look, so uh, a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Do you think it made uh, Brother Nichols feel any better to know that all church was thinking about him? I think it might have helped him a little bit. I know he's sick. But I'll guarantee you when people do care, it makes a difference. And the countenance is better when you know that people care about you. And then in verse 18, it says, Whoso, look at this, keepeth the fig tree shall eat of the fruit thereof. So he that waiteth on his master shall be honored. This is the rewards of service. When you do what's right, look, whoso keepeth the fig tree, you're not only going to eat the fruit thereof, so he that waiteth on his master shall be honored. It's the reward for serving and being faithful. Now then, in verse 19, don't run with a wrong crowd. As in water, face answereth to face, so to the so the heart of man to man. So the heart of man to man. Are you going to run with people that, that your heart is like their heart? Are you going to run with people that your heart is not like their heart? And you're going to be in the wrong company. As in water, face answereth to face, so the heart of man to man. Let's be careful of what kind of company we keep and let's don't run with the wrong crowd. And look at the next verse. Verses 20 and 21 go together. It says, Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of a man are never satisfied. Hell and destruction are never full. It means simply that there's no satisfaction to some individuals regardless of what they receive. Just like hell and destruction are never full, the eyes of a man are never satisfied. A man in sin is never satisfied with his sins. This word hell and destruction are Sheol and Abaddon. There's two different words. Sheol for hell, Abaddon for destruction. You'll find that those uh, names also are included in the book of Revelation. So don't be too ambitious. And remember that uh, if you run around with people that are bent on going into sin, that you'll fall into sin with them. As the finding pot for silver and the furnace for gold, so is a man, so is a man to his praise. It is tried in the furnace, so is a man to his praise. Then I want you to notice verse uh, uh, 22. Verse 22 says, Though thou shouldest bray a fool in a mortar among wheat with a pestle, yet will not his foolishness depart from him. doesn't make any difference what kind of measures you take when a man is foolish and bent on continuing in his way. He's going to end up 
in a bad situation. Some are so bad that severe methods do not answer their need, do not answer their end. You can take most drastic uh, measures against a, a fool. These are drastic measures. Though thou shouldest bray a fool in a mortar among wheat with a pestle, yet will he will not his foolishness depart from him. What is going to change him? You know, all the outward acts and measures and methods that people take to try to change an individual are ineffective unless God does some changing on the inside. It all comes back kind of like the message message of either reformations or, or regeneration. To reform is not enough. To just try to change a man on the outside, taking all kinds of measures is not sufficient unless he's changed on the inside by regeneration. We talk about uh, all the things in our nation and in the world that need to be changed. James says, From whence cometh, listen, from whence cometh wars and fightings among you? Come they not even from your own members? He says, They come from within you. Where do, if you get the carnal natures, the sinful, uh, Evil purposes out of man, that would eliminate a lot of the wars, that would eliminate a lot of the local wars, the fightings in, uh, among individuals on a local level or on a nationwide level or on a worldwide level. But see, men have to be changed from the inside out. We've got all these program, programs in our government. And I'm not saying that some of them are not good in their particular ways. But there are so many things that have to be changed from the inside that they don't touch. They just put a fellow and they say, okay, we're going to change you. We're going to change you. We're going to make, make you new. Well, that's good for them to try to do something. But on the other hand, that person has got to be willing to accept that change. And he's got to want to change from the inside out before it ever really is accomplished. Then it says in verse uh, uh, 23... Through 27, by the way, tells us not to be careless. Don't be careless. 23 through 27. Be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks and look well to thy herds. Well, that's good. In other words, we need to be diligent in our business in this world. Be diligent to know the state of thy flocks and look well to thy herds. If a man's in this business world, in this world, he has to make a profit. He has to make sure that everything is taken care of. If he has flocks and herds, he has to take care of them. He can't let them. Uh, he can't let the wolves come in and eat up the flocks, and he can't let the herds be neglected in their water and their food. And by the way, so pastors should be diligent as to their flock as well. Pastors have to be diligent concerning their flocks and their herds. And it says, For riches are not forever, and doth the crown endure to every generation? Riches are not forever. When are we going to be convinced that riches are temporal? We need to take, we need to take care of what God has given us and with what God has put into our hands. But on the other hand, to realize that everything has its time. And doth the crown endure to every generation? Have you seen the crown that would go from one generation to another? And sometimes it would be cut off to the next generation. They wouldn't get the crown. 
It says, The hay appeareth, and the tender grass showeth itself, and herbs, uh, herbs of the mountains are gathered. The lambs are for, the clothing, for thy clothing, and the goats are, are the price of the field. God has given us the tender grass. He's given us the hay. He's given us the mountains. And the lambs are for thy clothing. He's given us something to clothe our bodies. And the goats are the price of the field. Now we'll wait before we get to the last verse. Think of this. The lambs are for thy clothing. They're not only physically for for our clothing, but think of this spiritual application. We're clothed with what? The robe of righteousness. And how, how is it that we're clothed with God's robe of righteousness? Because the Bible tells us that the Lamb of God taketh away the sin of the world. And He says that He will clothe you and clotheth with the garments of salvation. Look at Isaiah chapter 64. Let's see if it's 64. No, it's 61, verse 10. 61, verse 10. It says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. Look at this. For He hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. The best, the best clothing we can have is the garments of salvation. And this was provided by one Lamb. This was provided by the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Adam and Eve, remember? They had the fig leaves on and God said, this is not good. It was symbolical of their, their self-righteousness. They made those fig leaves themselves. They clothed themselves with fig leaves. And God took those fig leaves off and He made for them coats of skins for their clothing. And God has taken all our fig leaves of self-righteousness off and He's clothed us with the robe of Christ's righteousness. And that was through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. See, it says, For He clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. And you and I stand clothed in Christ's righteous robe. And it was because He is the Lamb of God. Because in Isaiah 64, if you want to turn to page, verse 6, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all of our righteousness are as filthy rags. You see, our own righteousness are filthy rags, and we do all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Now then quickly, we want to come back and look at these last two verses in our Proverbs. So it says, The lambs are for thy clothing, and the goats are are the price of the field. Now look at the last verse. And thou shalt have goat's milk enough for thy food. God says, I'm going to give you enough for your food. We're talking about God's pastoral care for us. Milk enough for thy food. Peter says, As newborn babes desire the what? Sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. And it says, For the food of thy household, it's good for the whole family, and for the maintenance of thy maidens. Look at the three things. Thy food, milk enough for thy food, and for the food of thy household, and for the maintenance of thy maidens. So God has made provision for all. And by the way, uh, the last thing I might say is that the food comes, your food and mine, is from the Word of God. He's made His Word food to our souls. 
Job of old says, I have esteemed, listen, the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Jesus said that man shall not live by bread alone, this kind of food, but by every word which proceedeth out of the mouth of God shall man live. Now we have people that are well fed as far as the physical are concerned, but we have people that are starving to death as far as the spiritual food is concerned. So I'm going to just close by saying that we need to fill ourselves and feed ourselves upon that which is satisfying to our souls just as surely as we need daily food to sustain our bodies for the maintenance of thy maidens, the servants, the workers. So the, the thing about it is we need God's Word, don't we? And the more we read it, the more we study it, and the more we let it feed us, and I'd venture to say that that any time that we read it or study it or hear it, 